0: Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor of Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to our study in the book of Colossians. This is week three, and we've made it eight verses. And Jesus might come back before we finish this, but that's all right. Make your way over to chapter 1. I've titled the study, Jesus is Enough. And it is a, an awesome uh, defense of the doctrine of Christ's sufficiency. Uh, one of the best in all the Bible that I find. But uh, as we begin, Paul is writing this letter and he uh, greets them. And then he moves uh, directly into praying for them. And uh, we're going to hear his prayer before we get into, in the following weeks, uh, his argument here. In, a, in our study, we've been introduced to the context in which Paul is writing and some of the background of the people that he was speaking to, that he was writing to. Of course, they're in the church of Colossae. But he's writing to us today as well because this is a letter from God that is an eternal truth This week, we are treated to an inside look at the prayer Paul prayed specifically on behalf of these young in the faith believers there in Colossae. Two things I want to point out here, Paul prays for the needs of others. His concern here is for these young Christians and their needs. Obviously, it's not wrong to pray for ourselves. In fact, we need to do that. But we need to also spend time praying for others, lifting them up, lifting up our spouses, lifting up our kids, lifting up our friends, our family. These are hard times that we're going through. The challenge, especially in these last 15 months, has been immense. And then, you know, we're praying for our missionary that's going to drive 2,000 miles across uh, Brazil. So that, that's, a, that's a challenge all in its own. And then number two, notice that Paul doesn't pray here for their physical needs, although that may be necessary and right at the time. He focuses instead on their spiritual growth. If you are spiritually growing, the physical needs will follow. But if your spiritual growth is stunted, then no number of earthly things will satisfy your soul. So he has a priority in his prayer that we're going to hear here in just a minute. Have you been praying for someone for days, months, maybe even years? Do you want to pray a more productive prayer for them? Perhaps you've been praying for a child, a friend or a spouse that's been struggling in their faith walk. Maybe you're going through some financial challenges yourself. Maybe it's a health challenge right now or a relationship challenge. Maybe you're the one that's in need of prayer today. That's all right. There's no no shame in that. We all need prayer. But at our closing, I'm going to ask you to do something that you may want to start right now. I'm going to invite you to reach out for another Connect card. And I hope we haven't run out because we've used twice as many as we normally do. But uh, reach out and grab a Connect card right now. It's white. It's right in front of you. There's a little pencil. You might have a pen. But put someone on there that you're praying for, that comes to mind. When I said, who are you praying for? Who's that person's face that popped into your mind and you pictured them? Maybe you're praying for salvation. Maybe they're just going through some hard times and and you're concerned for them. I'm going to invite you to do that. And then as we close, I'm going to invite you to come up and, and put them right here in this basket that's already Got a lot of cards in it from the other two services. I'm going to invite you to put them in there and then remain at the front as we pray for these people. Paul had learned to pray according to the Spirit. And because he had, he had his prayers in right priority. And because he walked closely with God, he knew how to pray productively for what these young believers needed in order to establish themselves in their church, this newer church. It was only five years old the same age as as this one. Let's take a look at Paul's example here and see how we can be praying productively for people in our lives. Let's read Paul's prayer beginning in verse 9 and then pull it apart verse by verse as we go forward this morning. Verse 9, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Well, what did they hear? Paul got word that there was a new church in Colossae. You may remember he'd never been there himself. There's no evidence that he ever visited Colossae. But he had heard about Colossae and how they had planted a church there. And he was excited. And when he found out there was a church there, he began to pray for them. He began to pray for you, he says, and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. I want to jump right in. Here's productive prayer number 1. If if you take notes, I encourage you to do so. You can flip over your bulletin. You can fill these in and may, and maybe later this will help you pray for that person that uh, God brought to your mind this morning. Here's productive prayer number 1. That they may walk wisely. Verse 9, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We may not know somebody's individual struggles or even at times how to pray for them, What specific details we could pray. But we should always pray for them to walk in God's will for their lives and for them to grow in his wisdom and understanding of his truth. Notice the three keys here to pray for someone that they might gain wisdom. Here they are, three keys, being filled with knowledge. Number one is being filled with knowledge. That's knowing who God is and what his will is for our lives. How do we do that? Well, we observe his word. We read it. And then we spend time in prayer with him. We can't know how to grow in wisdom unless we're reading our Bible. Because all wisdom, at the end of the day, comes from God. And then number two, having all wisdom, pray that they will be able to correctly and intelligently discern God's will and intentions for their lives wisdom is being able to see life through God's eyes. And if you want to pray for your pastor, that's the prayer I want. I want to be able to discern things in the time that we're living, and I want to be able to have the wisdom to live my life through God's eyes. I want to be able to see people as God sees people. And that should all be our prayer. Amen. And gaining spiritual understanding, which is the practical application of the two aforementioned ones. The walking out of knowledge and wisdom will develop our understanding of spiritual matters, and the practicing of all three of these kill, keys will make us wise. How do we become wise? Well, we begin to read our Bible. We fill our, our minds with knowledge, and then uh, we begin to have a heart of wisdom as we go through that, discerning how to, to be able to know God's will. And number three, we begin to spiritually understand this, which allows us to actually put feet to what we've just read. And what's the use if we, re- we gain knowledge and wisdom if we don't go out and live it? It's of no value. These are great prayers. We need to be lifting up our kids and our grandkids as they go to school. And the days that we live in are not easy. A word of caution here, the false teachers that Paul was concerned about, that we talked about last week, he knows they're coming into this little uh, Colossae church, and they're going to bring false teaching in there, and they're going to try to pull everyone away from the truth. It's interesting on the words that Paul uses here, he talks about knowledge, he talks about wisdom, and he talks about understanding in his prayer. These are the three buzzwords of of the church, and these these false teachers knew that, and so they use these same words, and and in order to try to pull people into into their false teaching. But any shift from God's word says uh, what God's word says is a step in the wrong direction. We've got to be careful. Satan is so cunning; he uses church vernacular in order to trick those who aren't wise. Or who have become lazy in reading their Bibles. That's why it's important to know the truth from the lie. These offshoot groups that come along to claim that they have a special knowledge uh, in new truth or a word that came to them from God somehow that that trumps the word of God is always a lie. These people are to be avoided at all costs. God has already spoken in his word. We don't need more word. He's given it to us all. We have the word. We just need to obey it and understand it. Remember, if it's if it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 tells us that God's divine power has given to us, not one person or a group of people, he's given it to us all, All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. And where do we find these? We find them right in the word of God. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So how do we do this? How do we know a truth from a lie? Well, we've got to be in the word. You've got to know what it says so that when the lie comes floating by, you don't bite on it. Paul was telling these believers to walk according to the knowledge and the wisdom they had already received and had been established and not to look for new truth. It's dangerous when we want to go outside the Bible and go, well, well, you know, these people say this over here, but it's contrary to what God's word says. We need to spend more time in the word. Listen, the people that that God's placed on your heart don't need new word. They need God's word so they can walk according to his word. God's word doesn't need to be rewritten. It needs to be obeyed. And that brings us to productive prayer number two, that they may walk obediently. That they may walk obediently. Verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. If you're praying for yourself or your kids, your spouse, your friend, whoever's on your mind, and they're in the middle of a storm and their faith is being tested, pray that they would walk in wisdom and that they would walk in obedience to God's word. The false teachers in Paul's day were arrogant people who had proclaimed their head knowledge from these Greek, uh, you know, the, the Greek writers, and they were trying to add it to what Paul had taught and what Peter had taught and what God's word had to say. They were already trying to massage it and change it into what they thought was a more comfortable uh, way of doing things. And, and they had no plan for walking their own, uh, their own religion out. You can't separate learning from living. Does that make sense? You know, if we learn something and then we don't live it, what was the point in the first place? Otherwise, we just simply become really smart sinners, you know, and what's the point if we go out and live like a sinner when we know that we shouldn't? Some of us, um, some of the most dangerous Christians I've met are those in first year seminary, and these guys have their, their, their first taste of, of sem- um, their first semester of schooling and their first exposure to deep theology, and they can't wait to tell everybody. But the problem is they don't know how to live it yet. So, so be careful you know, about those guys. <laughs> they always crack me up, and, and I was probably just like him at some point in my life. Here, here's the problem. Knowing isn't the same as doing anything. I say that. Pretty regularly. Knowing isn't the same. Just because you know, it doesn't mean you've walked it out and that you're living it. It's not the same as doing anything. A few weeks ago, I, I used one of my analogies that I, I like to use uh, of uh, asking someone to go flying with me. And, and I tell them I, I've read three books on how to fly. And, and, and the, the last book had illustrations, even. So I'm way ahead of the game. I know that if you push this little thingy right here, that these things called flaps go up and down on the wing. That's good to know. And I know how to go through the checklist here that they made. And, and, and hey, I'm ready to fly. You want to go flying? Well, you might ask, well, pastor, how many hours of flying do you have? Well, i am not actually done it yet, but um, I know how to do it. I've read the manuals. Trust me, everything's going to turn out okay. You'd be a fool to get in a plane with me. Because I have no practical, I mean, what if things go wrong, you know? You know and that, that'll happen about two seconds uh, down the runway. Knowing isn't the same as doing anything. And so many Christians think they know and they're growing in the Lord, but it's not the same if you're not living it out. If you have no practical experience in this, what's the point? Dr. Warren Wiersbe said that, the th- that there's three words that summarize the practicality of Christian life. Here it is. First, wisdom, then walk, and then work. He said, I cannot work for God unless I am walking with him, but I cannot walk with him if I'm ignorant of his will. The believer who spends time daily in the word and prayer will know what God's will is and be able to walk with him and work with him, end of quote. God's wisdom points us to God's will and as we obey his will then we begin to walk with him and as we walk with him we get to work with him that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him Paul said that was one of his prayers for this young church pray for that person in your life that you're thinking of that they would walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him And as you seek to pray productively for yourself or others, pray that God will reveal His will with clarity and that they would understand it. Then pray that they would walk it out daily. And finally, pray that God would enable them to work faithfully along with God so that they would align themselves with God's will, fully pleasing Him. Well, productive prayer number one, that they may walk wisely, Number two, that they may walk obediently. And here's productive prayer number three that Paul prays that they may produce fruit. He wrote, Being fruitful in every good work. What kind of life is is worth living? What kind of life do you want to have that when you get to the end of it, should, should Jesus delay his return and we get to the end of our lives? That we look back on our lives? What kind of life? would you describe that you would like to have right before going to heaven? Well, I I would imagine that all of us in this room would want our lives to be fruitful, that they meant something, they stood for something, that they were valuable to the next generation perhaps. Paul wanted those he prayed for to be wise by developing their biblical knowledge to begin with. God wants us to learn more about him and then put that knowledge into practice as we help those around us. The fruitfulness comes from interacting with other people. And thus Paul prayed that the people would lead productive lives, that life and the obedience will bring fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Our creator designed us to be fruitful. Jesus said, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will remain, he said. And he, and that word remains means there's no end to that. That fruit that we, that we want in our lives by following God, it lasts forever, even out into eternity when we get to heaven. In his book, Partners in Prayer, John Maxwell wrote this. And I quote, the greatest fruit that a person's life can bear has lasting value. Usually that means actions with eternal consequences, such as salvation for unbelievers and spirit empowered ministry to other members of the body of Christ. So when you pray for others, pray that you would be, that they would be productive and that they would choose to bear fruit that is eternal, end of quote. And here's productive prayer number four, that they would know God better. Most of you know and have prayed for and we appreciate and thank you for the prayers that we've had in in the passing of our daughter. But now we uh, uh, are going to do what I call reparenting. We're getting in line again to do it. And if God thinks it's a good idea, I'm for it. I don't know how I'm going to do it physically yet, but God has a plan for that as well. I better start uh, jogging again, I think. Keep up with them. But our prayer is that they would know God better than they know Him today. Paul wrote in his prayer, increasing in the knowledge of God. The writer of Hebrews warns against the believer's spiritual passivity or willful disinterest in growing in the knowledge of God. He had taught them the foundations of the faith, provided them the essentials of Christian living. He gave them everything they needed to grow, and then he had to go away. He comes back at at some point, and he returns wanting to teach them even deeper things. But he discovers that they're still spiritual infants. They haven't done any of the things that he's told them to do, and they've forgotten everything he's told them. They didn't increase in their knowledge of God because they were lazy and distracted by the things of the world. In Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, they wanted to teach them more about Jesus, but found it difficult and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing, he writes, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk, And not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk, these are people that like to get their ears tickled, uh, maybe listen to to the, the easy gospel, the soft serve, is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So as we open up the word of God, we begin to be able to discern. We begin to grow into the faith that, that God's already given us. Paul knew that everything hinges on the health and strength of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. What rain and sunshine are to the cultivation of plants the knowledge of God is to the growth and maturing of our spiritual lives. And as you pray for people in your life, pray that they would be distracted less by the world. Pray they remain focused on the things that will encourage them to know God better. Always increasing in the knowledge of God. And lastly, here's productive prayer number five that they would be complete and thankful. Complete and thankful. Paul writes in verse 11, Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now, one of the most elusive sought-after Christian traits, I believe, is that of joyful patience and long-suffering. Both are necessary in the lives of the believer if we're to grow and to experience God and have a testimony to the world that's valued. If we're going to pray for joyful patience and joyful long-suffering, we need to know what they are. Patience is is having the godly stamina to go on joyfully when circumstances are difficult. Long-suffering is having the, the same godly stamina to go on joyfully when people are difficult. You see the difference? Both are absolutely essential to our successful navigation of storms. See, I'm I'm far better at dealing with circumstances because I can manipulate them and I can, you know, kind of make things happen. I'm far less adept when I deal with difficult people. There's silence in here. (laughs) Long-suffering is having the godly stamina to go on joyfully when people are difficult. Patience is endurance in action. It's not a passive thing. We're to have patience with our circumstances that we may not like, but it's there's an action to that. We work through that. But then when people come along, it's a lot more difficult. Maybe there's a difficult neighbor that you have, or maybe there's a difficult coworker or family member that you're dealing with. You know, God's using them to develop a patience, a a long-suffering, if you will. Hebrews twelve eleven tells us this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that, are, that is set before us. Patience is endurance in action. Think about the, the triathlete who is patiently taking that next stride. Now, they've swam their, their, their swim part of the triathlete. They've ridden their bicycle some hundred miles, but now they have to run a marathon on top of that. How do you do that? You patiently take that next step. You force your body that is crying out in pain to take that next step. And you, and you go through this, you work through this, so that they can finish their race. And don't we all want to finish our race? Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit restoredcommunitychurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.